0: so welcome everyone in this episode we're going to be talking about Albert Camus his works and his life and his philosophies as well and today we're joined by Inès Lefrère Dupré Pierre's sister hello, <laughs> and she's bringing some great insight into the life and works of Albert Camus having studied him and his works at university and it's a great pleasure to have you here, thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: So Enos is also uh, one of the curators behind the Pieces of Mind blog which is a website you'll find that linked down in the description. It's a uh, it's similar to this podcast, but it's in a, in a re, um, written form and it's just a series of short articles on everything really. They have a lot of contributors and, and some of them are really interesting. There's one actually on Camus and Covid-19 and then there's plenty of others on a lot of topics that are very prevalent in the news. So I, I recommend you guys go and check that out. Like Connor said, today we're talking about Albert Camus, a uh, stalwart of 20th century French literature, uh, winner of the Nobel Prize and very influential in his writings. But the best place to start is with a biography. So Camus was born in Algeria in 1913, which was at the time a French colony. His, dad, his father died a year later in the First World War and he never met his father, so growing up he lived with his mother and grandmother and this feature of the, the matriarchy can be seen in his work. He, uh, was, he suffered a bout of tuberculosis at the age of 17, which was highly influential on him because the French system which was transferred into the colony of Algeria, uh, is very focused on uh, maths, uh, engineering, the sciences, and following a career into civil service, Mm -hmm. which is what Camus would have been expected to do. But suffering this bout of tuberculosis meant that certain avenues and possibilities were cut off from him, but writing wasn't one of them. So he was able to pursue this, and in a way he was liberated by this uh, terrible affliction. He went on to study at the University of Algeria, and it was there where his interest in theatre uh, led him to develop Le Théâtre de l'Equipe, the the Workers Theatre, where he curated uh, some some of his own plays and and they staged a lot of plays focusing on the injustices faced by the Arabs in Algeria. Um, Camus himself was a, a French descent, but he was one with the he stood with the Arabs and they were unfairly discriminated in the, the French colony. This inspired him to join the Communist Party in 1935 because he Im- admired its image and, and the idea that everyone was equal. And this these values of teamwork and, and unity also developed in his acting and further to that his football. He played in goal for the team at the University of Algeria. So he had this idea of teamwork and, and working together. That was instilled in him from quite a young age. And the Communist Party drew him not only because of that spirit, but also because he grew up in poverty um, and poverty was all around him when he was in uh. Algeria. He said that the, the, his early life was a world of poverty and light. And these two things, poverty is the honest and dignified people, the working class with who he felt a cohesion, a solitarity. And light is a feature, something features heavily in, in, in certainly the plague and in the um even more so in The Outsider. It's all about, you know, the sun, the hot, the heat, and then also the pleasure and sensuality that might be associated with the beach. And that's quite a key theme in his work, that that comes from, from his upbringing. So he later left the Communist Party as the Hitler rose to power, because Hitler rose to power and all of a sudden everyone just became anti-fascist. And you had the Franco-Russian pact being signed. And that meant that the Communist Party in Algeria was now on the side of the French government and the French government he saw as oppressive to the Arabian people. Um, and that's why he left the Communist Party. And from there, he, he left. And as everyone was fleeing Paris, he actually goes to Paris in 1940. And, you know, so when he goes to Paris, what what does he start to do there and how does his life develop as. Uh, a uh, twenty mid-age 20-year-old.
1: So at this point he's actually working on his first cycle. The way Camus wrote was he he did all his work in cycles, so he had a novel, an essay, and a play per cycle, and at this point he's working on the first one which is um, the book L'Étranger, the essay, The Myth of Sisyphus, and the play which is called Caligula, and this cycle is really focused on the kind of inherent absurdity Camus sees in human life and the kind of slightly meaningless way in which we move about in the world. Um, and so he goes to Paris he's doing this work on the side he's also working at a newspaper in Paris he tries to join the French army actually but on account of his tuberculosis he's not accepted Um, so this again is kind of the the tuberculosis which could have been a real bane to his life actually gave him a way in which he was able to focus on his philosophy and work in other ways because he didn't get to join the French army he didn't stay in Paris for long the first time he actually fled to Lyon as the Germans advanced um, throughout through France. And in Lyon, he married Francine Four, who is a mathematician and a pianist, who was quite well known in her own right, actually. Um, they married in Lyon in 1940. And, um, yeah, that's kind of the next part of his life.
2: So you mentioned he didn't fight in the war. But ro- what role did he play in the French resistance? Did he play an active role in the French resistance?
1: Yeah, he, he obviously kind of tying in with his with his role as kind of an anti-colonialist he was strongly against the German occupying force um, he was the editor of a magazine called Comba which was a banned, news, uh, banned newspaper at the time um, and he wrote for them throughout the war um, and was quite involved with the French resistance movement and that's actually when his fame he became quite famous in France because obviously being part of the resistance movement especially when the war ended was quite a popular position to be um, his work, so L'étranger was published in 1942, that was his first book, um, and that gained him quite a lot of notoriety. So it was kind of a time, well, the, the Second World War was kind of a time where Camus' fame was beginning to increase quite a lot, and it, um, that was added to by his newly developed relationship with Sartre. Um, him and Sartre had a lot in common, they were both part of the French resistance movement, they were both, at this time, quite com- uh, quite communist-leaning. So actually the the period from 1940 to 1945 is quite an important one for Camus because it's when he really becomes established as a figure in French popular culture. And this was a time when philosophers and writers were part of popular culture, especially in France. So he became celebrated in a way that maybe we don't recognize today that academics can be celebrated, but he became that figure. So yeah, his first cycle, his first cycle, as I said, um, L'Etranger, the myth of Sisyphus and Caligula. Um, And then after that, he started work on the second cycle, which is a book called The Plague. And I wondered if either of you had anything to say on The Plague, which is published in 1947. Connor, I don't know if you have anything to say about it.
0: Yeah, so recently I, I read The Plague and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a fantastic book. It's now one of my my favourite books um, because there's so many themes to it. Primarily he's focusing on uh, the theme of absurdism and this kind of presents itself in the form of La Peste, right? The Pestilence, which is the plague that gripped the town of Oran, where it's set. And even though it, it's not really given a date to when this is set, it, we we can guess it was around kind of the 40s, 50s period, um, which he kind of wrote it in at the time. I mean, we see a lot of parallels today and a lot of people find a kind of new importance in reading The Plague today, considering that we have coronavirus around us providing lockdown like they had in Oran. And we experience a lot of the same emotion that is detailed in that book. But at the time, everyone thought it was They thought it was an allegory for uh, Nazism and the Nazi regime um, in France. But as I say, I don't see it in that that light. I see it in the light of an actual plague. But there's many different types of, of plague in a way. He discusses not only that there is this plague that arises from the rats. You know, the rats come out from their hiding places and they die in the street. And then it transfers to humans. But that's not the only plague. Uh, he goes on to actually conclude that everyone has plague in their life and it's plague is just a susceptibility to sudden death
2: the plague Uh, is something that's all around us and yeah Camus says it makes us address the absurd that's what the plague is it's us realizing we can die at any time but absurdism is a real major theme in Camus work Um, and I wondered if Connor you could just go into what absurdism means for Camus So for Camus,
0: absurdism is the contradiction that we see in life, which is we seek and desire human meaning in the world. Yet there is no intrinsic meaning. There is nothing that provides meaning to you in an objective form. And that in itself is the absurdism that Camus focuses on.
1: So I think what Camus has to say about absurdity is it's kind of it, it It runs throughout all his work as quite a major theme and I think what he's what he's saying is is that you have these moments in your life um you know we're working nine to five every day you do your job Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and you kind of you, you keep going with this habit that you're in and then I think he says every every human will have a moment in their life where they have a realization that this is kind of all these habits and all these things we fill our days with are actually kind of meaningless and we're putting on a purpose to the universe where there isn't one and it's kind of he actually says that the stage set collapses around us and that's the way he describes it when we kind of suddenly are aware of the like why of existence like why are we doing this because for camu there isn't an afterlife that we are building towards there's not some kind of greater purpose the universe in response to our questioning in response to our saying why like why are we living this life has no answer um, and he also, I think he says something really important in The Myth of Sisyphus, which is his first essay, where he says that we are actually projecting our human purpose onto the things around us. So we we can make sense of the world within our human framework. But when that falls away, suddenly the world becomes alien to us. So you look at nature and it, bec- it, it becomes something that's incomprehensible because it's a kind of inhuman beauty that we can't really understand. And all the kind of meaning that we put onto things just collapses and the world becomes itself again that's what he says and the world starts to evade us because it is itself again and because it's fundamentally inhuman um and that habit that normally masks it is gone and i think that's that's for him where the absurdity really arises and a recognition of the absurdity for, for sorry for camus doesn't necessarily have to be a pessimistic thing so it kind of it, it's something that features quite a lot in western philosophy at the time where you know the feelings of angst or anxiety that sartre and kierkegaard talk about is quite a common theme at the time um, and for a lot of other thinkers, that's quite a negative thing. Whereas I think for Camus, even though he talks about death as a kind of escape and suicide as being you know, the only philosophical problem, I think actually Camus is someone who embraces life despite a recognition of the absurd. So he kind of, he recognises that life is meaningless. But I think he has a real conviction in like human, human, the human ability to still enjoy living.
2: Building off that whole idea of the absurd, and as you say, the plague makes us face the absurd, but I want to focus on how we have those experiences. He says in The Myth of Sisyphus, um, at any street corner, the feeling of absurdity can strike any man in the face. So it's all about the absurdity comes to us in in the most banal tasks, the most base existence. Like you say, people working these nine to five jobs, people just simply living their lives in a routine. They're stuck in a rut and, and they keep living in the rut and they assume they're doing something right and they don't question it. And we spoke about this all the way back in episode one, the pilot episode, lost in the finite or lost in the infinite. You can just be living a routine and, and going through the steps. And then something happens that, that knocks you off the rails, that jolts you, and it makes you question everything. And in that questioning, we realize there is no meaning to this universe. And that can be quite shocking to us. And that is what the absurd is. It's it just from here's the a tension between a desire for meaning and the world being itself meaningless. And it comes to us in these banal experiences that the people of Oran, which is a town in Algeria, um, which the plague hits. But Camus, when writing the plague, he, he didn't want to call it Oran. He makes the book as general as possible. He never gives us a year where the plague occurs. He never gives us a true description of many of the characters. They're more simply archetypes. And the people of Oran don't act in a specific way. This town is very base. There's, there's nothing exciting about it or unique. It can happen to anyone, it can happen at any point in history. That's part of the beauty of the plague, and that's why it has a lot of relevance to us today. And this absurdity comes from, like you say, the jolting off the rails. And this happens to the people of Oran when they find out about the plague, they are the city's walls are closed, and they realize that they'll be separated from from lovers and, and family, and they won't be able to travel anymore. This experience is actually what I had people talking about the plague more is that is there a link to today and coronavirus and us being locked down? A lot of people are questioning. Well, now I'm working from home and I'm not working the same hours, or now I have nothing to do with my time. How do I want to fill it? And everyone has experienced that collective knocking off the rails and is going through the absurd experience. And that's why this book is so poignant at this moment with the absurdity that we experience. The beauty of Camus is you read it and you say, how has he predicted? what's happened 80 years in the future but that's not the case what actually is is he's studied the history and he sees what happens and we realize that we are just repeating this same plague reaction that many people experienced. and that's one really important link between the coronavirus and today but i wonder if there were any more links in the plague you two found when you were reading it about oh this is something that happens today or this is the people of oran are behaving similar to how they're behaving today
1: I have a quote which comes from the myth of Sisyphus, um, but I think really relates to our experience today. And it's a quote that he says, beginning to think is beginning to be undermined. And I think that's quite interesting because I think all of us have found in lockdown, we have so much time to ourselves to just think about stuff. And there is a sense of the things we we use to mark our lives kind of fall away a bit. And I think in that moment, you have a realisation that life is quite absurd and our habits are kind of ridiculous in a sense. Someone do you have
2: anything, Connor, about the coronavirus and the plague? Yeah, everything? yeah, I do. So one of the links I found is um, the focus
0: on the kind of relationships with people in the book. So in The Plague, it centers around the doctor in the town, Dr. Rio, and uh, the different people he encounters on a daily basis. And like you said, not only are there characters there, but they're they're very much archetypes of of people we see around us. And one of the most poignant moments for me in the book is... So when Rambert is, is, he's a journalist trapped inside the town when they have their lockdown. And he spends most of the book trying to get out, trying to escape, to get back to his wife in Paris. And then towards the kind of end of the book, he's given the opportunity to get out and to, as they put it, choose happiness by escaping to his wife. And as he's about to leave, he realizes, actually, that's not what I wanted. And when they ask, when they say, why didn't you leave? Um, And that there was no shame in choosing happiness. Rambert said, but there may be shame in being happy all by oneself. And it's the, the kind of solitude here, uh, which is quite powerful in a sense that it, it was a, became a major theme in, in several of Camus works is that you can be happy or you can choose to do what you want, but if you don't have those people around you to do it with. Then again, you reach that absurdity, which is what was the point in doing it anyway?
1: Yeah.
0: And I thought that was a really nice point in the book because we see it today when you have no exposure to your friends, to your family who uh, are kind of far away. They may not even be far away distance wise, but time wise, they seem very far away, not being able to see them for so long. Um, there is kind of a shame in, in being happy all by oneself. It, it doesn't feel right. This can be encapsulated by the mantra, which is solitaire and solidaire, which is to be solitary or to have solidarity. And he kind of seesaws between the two of them, between being solitary and having that time to think for yourself, to perfect your art, right, to work on everything around you and to have solidarity, which is to be united with the people around you, to spend time living in the real world. And again, he explores the kind of incompatibility of of both of these things, and like you see with with the moment where Rambert is given the opportunity to leave, he actually realizes that you know being uh solitary is so much less than being uh solidaire, which is solidarity
1: mm. yeah i think I think Camus is quite um humanist in the way that he. He upholds the importance of everyone as individuals. Um, and I think for him, he he he's really aware that it's not our own happiness, which is or should be our only concern. We are actually responsible for all men in the way we in the way we act and in the kind of duty we have towards other people. I wondered whether either of you had anything to say on like how, how we're meant to deal with this absurd universe. What was the kind of. So. What should you, the reaction be? What kind of what, what tips would he have? Say, you mentioned earlier. Situation?
2: The absurd is a theme that we see in many. It's called anxiety. It's called anguish. And for Camus, it's called the absurd. And it's just realizing the universe is meaningless, which is an epiphany being had in in the philosophical world and by many people around this time. That the the death of certain people, the indiscriminate uh, killing that come from the plague, and and you realize the world has no meaning. And people might think that is. It's in the midst of Sisyphus. Sisyphus, he writes mainly about this, um, about if you realize life has no meaning, what was the point of living? Um, And that's, for Camus, realizing life has no meaning is not a bad thing. If you realized or if you didn't realize, it always had no meaning. It makes no difference whether you know or not. It will always be the case that it had no meaning. So you can still live. Mm -hmm. But there's a beauty to knowing life has no meaning and still living. You can be honest with yourself. And... You can now say, I'm not striving for a higher purpose, but I'm striving to enjoy every moment as much as possible, not in a hedonistic kind of way, but like Connor says, with the solidarity and developing those relations with other people around you, but also with just spending time and saying you're living life and you're having experience. There's actually a quite interesting quote uh, said by Jean Terroux. So Terroux is, is a Spanish man who visits the town, and it talks about maybe this boredom in, in lockdown. That can be happening. And the way he wrote it just, I found it really interesting. This is a quote from Tao's diary. He says, query, how contrive not to waste one's time? Answer, by being fully aware of it all the while. Ways in which this can be done? By spending one's days on an uneasy chair in a dentist's waiting room. By remaining on one's balcony all a Sunday afternoon. By listening to lectures in a language one doesn't know. By travelling by the longest and least convenient train routes. And of course, standing all the way by queuing at the box office of theatres and they're not even booking a seat. And it's all these things where that's just living in the moment for Camus. It's a, it's a theory you can get mindfulness and this meditation that's happened recently with spirituality It's all about living in the moment, living and in the now.
1: being aware all the time. Kind of
2: thing. Yeah. yeah, and I think Camus is, he's saying, if you, once you realise life is absurd, then you're not worried about the afterlife or um, how what impact your actions will have at a later point when they're judged, but you're worried about what impact your actions have in the here and now and how you're living your life. And it gives you a greater focus on yourself and each experience, realising that life is final, uh, that death is final, and death will bring an end to your life. But in that time before you die, you have time to live it.
1: I think Camus, in all his work, he's actually really revolting against tyranny in all its forms. So this kind of comes at a physical level at the kind of you know, against he's against colonial power, he's against fascism, for example, but also this comes through in his philosophy and he, tyranny for him can come through hope. He says it's the last thing to escape Pandora's box because it's so insidious um, and it's, it's something that can really stop us from recognising absurdity. And the reason he wants us to recognise absurdity is because that's when we're freed from tyranny because we start to see things as they really are and we see clearly and it kind of frees us in a way because we we can we can then from from there we have we kind of have a blank canvas to do what we want and this isn't it, it's a, it's a difficult one because it's not necessarily it's hard to see it as a positive thing but he does really really does mean it to be a positive thing and it's kind of when man recognizes this has this absurd realization the first reaction camus says in the rebel which is a 1951 essay he says our first action is to cry out and protest and rebel and revolt against that and he says the fact that man cries out means that there must be something worth, worth revolting for because man wouldn't cry out in rebellion if there was nothing to rebel for so he says that there is something inherently meaningful within man even if there isn't in the world around him that makes rebellion worth it even you know you're protesting the unfairness of the universe you're protesting the fact you're going to die and in protesting that you're also affirming that there's something worth worthwhile on the other hand
2: so like we say that the world can have no meaning and but that can be a beautiful thing in how we act and plague la peste, pestilence it is embodied by this illness disease in la peste, and it's also embodied by maybe coronavirus today but plague means something a lot more for camus
0: Mm. yeah so the plague is presented as the bacillus, right, the disease itself that you can catch but Camus actually humanizes the plague in a lot of senses throughout the book and it gets more human uh, the further into the book you read and so by the end he, he goes up to a rooftop with one of his friends and they look out and it's, he says that you could tell there's no plague here and that the plague now is, it transcends the bacillus, it transcends the disease and it is now kind of its own entity, that's very human-like. And Ines, you said that there was uh, there was meaning when you were human, because you naturally want to revolt. And it's interesting, actually, how he he paints the picture of the plague as being this human that's kind of in the room with you. You'd look around town and go, "There's there's the plague." The same way you could see people in cafes. And uh, in this way, he he kind of adds meaning to the plague in that. It is all around you and it's like another person in the room. It will always be there because plague is a natural condition. It's a human condition that we all have, which means that at any moment we can die, we can drop dead. The same way you might catch the disease and get nasty bumps all over your body and then die a very painful death. It could either be that way or for whatever reason, like Camus himself, he died in a car crash in 1960. Um, so you never know when you're quite going to go, and this is the plague for Camus. By the end of it, it's this uh, realization that actually, at any point, your life could be taken. So what do you do with it now?
2: Building off what you said, with what plague is like, you said you mentioned plague is just the fact that people can die, and mm-hmm. I think that's permanent in the book because the plague is the main sustenance. Of the book that that is what kills most people in the book. But actually, before the plague strikes, you have. Uh, Cotard who tries to hang himself and then uh, Rieu's wife who was sent to a sanatorium, incredibly ill, and even after the plague finishes, um, then Rieu's wife passes away. And the whole point is that there is that absurdity in terms of you can die at any point. This person just survived at a pestilence that killed half the population of a, of Oran, almost 50,000 people, and then they they died, they died the day after it was declared over. The plague was declared over. I think that's what plague is, that plague has is just, it's anyone's relationship to death. The fact that anyone can die at any point, um, crossing the street or catching a deadly virus or being involved in a car crash like Camus was, like you said. And um, for Camus, that was the whole thing. Plague, when it's in its pestilence form, is just a real concentrated version of plague. But it's always there. And it's not something you're afraid of for Camus. Don't be afraid of the fact that you might die. Like we say, that inspires you to live more. And I think that plague is, it has no meaning. The only thing it means is death and the loss of a loved one. Um, That loss of a loved one is something very pertinent for Camus. And he he doesn't think he can be expressed too well in language, but we see a lot of people being separated, lovers separated by the plague, and, and then people obviously separated by death. There is a terrible thing but that's part of life definitely and
0: one of the main kind of absurd points in the in the book is is when the judge's son uh this child dies a really tragic death and a very painful death that's dragged out it's very you know touching to read and it again it it just shows the absurdity of 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 the plague in that it doesn't it treats people indifferently. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what kind of person you are, whether you're old or young, good or bad, it's not moral. It's a randomly distributed plague that can take anyone's life. And that moment encapsul- encapsulates um, the absurdity of suffering in human life.
2: Yeah. It's almost uh, Dostoevsky in terms of the idea of the child dying and where is suffering? How has it come in to to this life? And it, suffering is something that shows us that life has no meaning. But then Camus says that also plague forces us to give a meaning to suffering, even when it seems inadmissible to give suffering this place in our lives. But suffering has a meaning in terms of it can separate loved ones. But then there's the spin of when the people of Oran are then rejoined with their loved ones, there's almost this greater appreciation of who they want to be with. And maybe with Rombert, we see He's separated from his wife and he wants to go back to his home, but then he realizes that actually, this solidarity that I mean, he, he wouldn't have realized until plague was so visible and so in his face. Um, but then he realizes the importance of solidarity. And because plague is just the fact that we can die, that can happen to any of us. That when we realize that actually, you know, realizing you might die tomorrow, what might that change? How might that change your opinion on, on things?
1: I think another point if you want to talk, if you want to compare um the plague to our current experience is the way in which the authorities in the novel are really slow to react to, to the plague and I think that's because a, a recognition of how serious it is um kind of makes it real in a way and I think the authorities in the novel kind of deny the seriousness of it because they don't want to face up to the consequences of what such a plague would mean um and I think that's we could kind of draw a parallel to the present day in the way that the UK government responded so slowly to coronavirus. Um, because I think in responding to it, you accept that it's something that's really serious and it's something you have to deal with. Um, and I think it's probably easier for someone in government to put that off in a way and hope that it kind of goes away. And I think there was a point when it's obviously not going to go away and you have to deal with it. And I also think another another interesting comparison that can be drawn is the way in which in the face of this um, plague, say, or in the face of this absurdity, humans turn to different things and different belief systems to kind of make sense of everything. And in the plague, there's a massive, um, there's there's a massive sermon given and the whole town attends this religious sermon. Um, and it's kind of seen as God, you know, God's punishment for the people on earth. And the plague is interpreted in that way um, to give the plague meaning. And even though it's a negative meaning, Camus is showing how humans are always seeking that meaning, even if it might be that the meaning is God is punishing you. And I think people have tried to do that in, in lockdown. They've kind of been like, oh, it's biological warfare from China. That's obviously a massive, you know, that's a ridiculous conspiracy. But it's all people trying to find different pathways to create a narrative around something which is meaningless and try and fit it into a narrative that could make sense of it. It's a denial of actually the absurdity yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that the plague is and the, say, coronavirus is for us in our current day. Yeah. A hero for Camus is Sisyphus as we've mentioned a lot and so Sisyphus is a man who's condemned to roll a stone up a hill every day and then in the evening it rolls back down, he goes back down the hill and he has to push it up again and this is kind of, it's eternal, this is his life um, and I think Camus presents Rio, who's the doctor, as a kind of modern Sisyphus and every day he's tasked with caring with the growing numbers of the sick and every day he's kind of doing the same things, he's visiting sick people, he's caring for them, hes he's helping their families cope with it and Camus shows that this is kind of heroic in a way just getting on with it and every day doing every day trying to do the best you can do and trying to find happiness within that.
2: their whole idea of the denial people not accepting it might happen to them and the government being late to react but also the people of Oran uh, late to admit that it's happening to them because we have Conor mentioned there's a first plague with the rats the rats all die in the streets and then the people just the rats get cleared away and the people forget about plague so Camus is warning us that we can't forget about plague, you're given this opportunity it stares you right in the face and then people try to just look past it and once it goes they they can easily forget about it. There's a quote early on when the plague is first discussed in in the book and it encapsulates what Ines said quite well. Quote, everybody knows that pestilences have a way of recurring in the world yet somehow we find it hard to believe in ones that crash down on our head from a blue sky. There have been as many plagues as wars in history Yet always, plagues and wars take people equally by surprise. In this respect, our townsfolk, like everyone else, wrapped up in themselves. In other words, they were humanists. They disbelieved in pestilences. A pestilence isn't a thing made to man's measure. Therefore, we tell ourselves it's a mere bogey of the mind, a bad dream that will pass away. But the pestilence doesn't pass away. And from one bad dream to another, it is men who pass away. And humanists, first of all, because they haven't taken the precautions. And I like that because it's like what you said, Ines, with the camera saying that you can disbelieve the plague, that doesn't stop it existing. You can disbelieve in suffering, that doesn't stop it existing. But the same reason, you can believe life has meaning, doesn't stop it not having meaning. Mm-hmm. So the attitude, you can take the attitude of the plague, I don't believe it exists, it won't affect me, it's going to be someone else, it's stupid, it's an absurd idea. And it still affects you, it yeah. still gets you. So there's an inevitability. And to that's, you know,
1: it's funny because it's like the way, the way people have been I don't know if you have experienced this but i've seen on a lot of social media people have been so surprised that they have caught coronavirus do you not think i've seen people going like going to the beach and then they'll go you know visiting their friends in different locations and then two weeks down the line they go i can't believe it, i've got coronavirus and it's that it's that constant um human belief that kind of we are we are invincible in a way um and i think everyone everyone thinks that
0: yeah well everyone and, has the attitude of it can't happen to me yeah it can't happen to me yeah but we know it. It can, and like yeah. you said, Pierre, it's just it's just denying, it's just disbelieving. Uh, but doesn't mean it it won't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the the play kind of. It shows us that we're not special in a way. And Camus has he says he says that each of us is alone under the vast indifference of the sky. And I think that's quite important. Like none of us is marked out for something special. We're all the same. We're all just people. Um, and the universe as a force doesn't care about you know. I'm a girl, you're a boy, I'm this age or that age, I've got you know this education someone else has that, the the universe doesn't care about that, it's completely irrational um, and yeah the plague reveals that I think, as does coronavirus if we're going to compare the two
0: So we've talked a lot about the absurd and life not having meaning and one of the points mentioned earlier was in the novel The Plague there was a sermon given by a priest Panelo talking about the uh, the damnation of everyone there from the plague and panelos serves a, a very key role in the plague as the religious figure mm. and almost the embodiment of of a god there and religion tends to be a, a very key theme for Camus throughout his works and even his life itself he didn't he wasn't a religious man but he wasn't unreligious so to speak so I was wondering if if Pierre, you could tell us more about uh religion in Camus' life and his works.
2: Yeah. I mentioned that Panalu, he delivers these two key sermons in the book, and we see his progression about the religious man trying to deal with the plague, and then you have the juxtaposition of Rio, the doctor, the medicine versus religion, and how they treat the plague. But Camus he, he said he, he didn't think he didn't believe in God. But he said he said, I don't believe in God, but I'm not an atheist either. I'm uh I agree with Benjamin Constant, who was a philosopher um, around 1700s, 1800s, um, that I find irreligion something quite vulgar and worn, uh, old-fashioned. Um, so he's n- he's more of an anti-theist than an atheist. It's not that he thinks, oh, life has meaning and God exists, but he also thinks people that say God doesn't exist, they're also trying to put meaning on life because they're saying, oh, I know something more. I know that God doesn't exist, and therefore I can prove this, this, and this. I can say, if God doesn't exist, but this is still a utopia we should strive for. This is the uh, humanist utopia we should strive for. He has an issue with, um, with people who say that thing. For Camus, God can't exist because it, can't, it doesn't fit into his everyday understanding. The idea of an all-powerful being, it's not, it just doesn't fit into your everyday experiences. Where does the all-powerful God come into the man who goes to the shops to buy his bread and comes back home and makes his lunch and goes to work? Where does the all-powerful being come into that life? Um, and it's, he just sees that religion—it's not something we see in our everyday life. The God is not something we observe. It, it doesn't. It's not there. So that's why he kind of disagrees with that. But he still thinks that obviously the death is an important part of our life and it frames our life in a certain way. And although religion, in its proper sense, might not have a place in, its, in his uh, uh, novels. The idea of something being sacred is very important. And for Camus, this is almost the force of nature. There is something greater than humans. It's not a god, an all-powerful god in the traditional sense. But the fact that man is consecrated into this fragile life and he must live this existence and deal with these struggles, there is some greater force than him, that this plague force that can kill him or this force that can just wipe out a town or Um, change the way he lives and makes his life absurd because it removes his ability to give meaning to things. And there is a greater force. And he thinks that there's um, also that idea of nature. So we see at one point during the plague, um, Ryo goes to swim in the sea. And it's almost like this bathing idea, but he goes to the sea, which is so much more powerful than him, the, the force of the ocean and the waves. And he's like taken away from the plague and he relaxes. That's part of Camus' upbringing where he finds the beach as part of Algerian culture. But also that idea of the sea being more powerful than humans um, and having this ability to take away life in an instant and any form of nature that's where the higher powers come into Camus thinking and that can be reflected by the plague coming to kill people or in um, the stranger the sun plays a major role in the protagonist's actions the sun beating down on his head um, but once Camus has refuted religion and, and their religion and taken his stance there he, and seen this grand force of nature very important you still have the question of that was raised around the time by games like Marx and Hegel with the idea of a dialectic and a passage of history and a right course to follow. And this is where Sartre really clashed with Camus, his contemporary and who, someone who was a very close friend of his. And Ines, I know you wanted to speak about Sartre and Camus and their relation and disagreements.
1: Yeah, so just briefly, um, Sartre and Camus became friends in Paris in the 1940s, and initially they kind of had a lot in common, they were both part of the resistance movement in France, Um, they both were communist, but this kind of ended up taking on quite different strands. So for Camus, Camus believed in revolt, I mentioned this before, he believed in it as an idea of, it's the human reaction to um, kind of absurdity, and even though an absurdist sensibility um, claims to believe in nothing, it does actually believe in its own protest and in the value of that protest as life. Um, and I think that's quite important because the thing with Camus is he, he all his philosophical thought comes to have a reflection in like practical life as well. So Camus was, you know, he was, he supported a lot of um, revolutionary movements and this is where him and Sartre probably agreed they differed, however, because Camus couldn't support revolution if it involved violence. And in the end, he kind of turned away from communism and moved towards a more libertarian ideal because he couldn't support what was he was seeing in the USSR um, and the Soviet regime's treatment of its people. Whereas Sartre um, kind of remained more firmly committed to Marxism throughout his life. Um, Camus was a, was a philosopher or a thinker who believed in the importance of moderation. And he said that the problem with revolution is that it it attempts to create something perfect and humans can't create something perfect and um, revolutions ultimately fail because they seek to end history. So he gives the example of the French Revolution um, and the French Revolution sought to put an end to history by defeating the monarchy um, and by creating this kind of new paradise um, and that ultimately failed, you know, it kind of it ended in the reign of terror um, where people were just killed without moderation, as it were. Um, and he just, he, he's kind of always aware that there's a balance between, you know, justice and freedom and you fight for freedom. But at the same time, you have to maintain a certain level of um, regard for your fellow man. And that's why he didn't support violence in the way that Sartre, not supported it, but Sartre was willing to endorse it. And I think that's where they really split because Camus in the end couldn't, couldn't stick with his communist leanings, whereas Sartre did. I think for 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 Camus, you can never, you can never let go of the intrinsic value of every human life, and you can't abandon that. However, however much the course of history may suggest that you can, I think Camus thought that was reprehensible. The one final thing is, so The Rebel was an essay, um, Camus published in 1951, and this was actually the first time that Sartre and him really disagreed. And they disagreed publicly. They actually wrote letters to one another, um, arguing over the point that Camus made in the rebel. Because as far as Sartre was concerned, it is possible to achieve perfect freedom and justice. And that happens in communism. Whereas, as I've said previously, Camus thought it was a constant balancing between justice and freedom.
2: Camus is against giving that highest purpose. He says he doesn't want humans to be sacrificed for history or sacrificed to history, like we were seeing in communist China uh, and in communist Russia and then also in the wars as well, because each individual human life of someone who lives and someone who suffers and someone like we see in um, all the townspeople of going back to the plague, they're all separated from lovers or loved ones or families without realising. And the plague has taken away their futures and their livelihoods that they thought they had. And that's each individual person has those experiences. And like Ina said, Camus values the individual very much so. He doesn't want it to be condemned to history in the sense that you will just be a number, a name on a war memorial, a number in a statistic book, because you were killed for a greater ideal. And the same way he thought religion was a, an injust, a doctrine of injustice, he also thought that about revolution in terms of established revolution, because for Camus, people who thought they could, this might be an insult to those who um, to those who follow dialectical reasoning, which was born in from Hegel and the Enlightenment. The idea that history follows a set path and then Marx really developed that, that you can track history. If you can track everything that's happened in history, you can see a clear progression to where it will go. Camus criticizes people who just say history and they say, this is what history, history is so broad and there's only so much we have documented. People that can think they can join the dots to make this trajectory for history. And then from there go even one step further and try and extrapolate and you know there's dangerous extrapolation You came up in episode three we talk about statistics but people then extrapolate this is what should be happening in the future and they say this is the perfect ends that is needed like a communist revolution but what are the means that are going to bring about those ends and such if those means had been people dying or these five-year um, plans that involve people, you know, backbreaking labour and terrible working conditions to bring about a, a utopia. It's kind of not
1: worth it for Camus.
2: Yeah, it's not yeah. worth it for Camus because each individual person will suffer, whereas for Sartre or a communist, uh, like a Marxist might say, actually this is worth it because you're bringing about that larger ideal.
1: So I think, I think, kind of mentioned it earlier, but for Camus, the struggle against tyranny is is constant. It doesn't end with one, you know, fixed form of government. It doesn't end with one you know, way of organising society. It's const- It's a. You have to constantly fight against tyranny in all of its forms. Um, and he said, you know, the problem with revolution is that often a revolution degenerates and becomes what it's sought to overthrow. And I think we can all, you know, we've all seen that in all the kind of different communist revolutions around the world. In the French Revolution, which I spoke about earlier, um, is that it it degenerates into its opposite basically, the second it gains power and it thinks that it's kind of found an end point.
2: Can we build that in saying each era has its dogmas and its beliefs and if you track those dogmas and beliefs you can work out who is on the right side of history and who will be on the wrong side of history and looking back with your current morals that's quite easy to do so they're on the wrong side of history they're on the right side but that will be shaped by your society around you so the early christian societies islamic societies and then middle-aged societies enlightenment societies where you had the french revolution and then perhaps a communist the dogmas keep changing. The party line keeps changing and people think I should follow the party line to the full and I should act to bring about the right side of history without realizing that in 20, 30, 100 years time, that right side of history may be completely different because people will have a com- different outlook a different yeah. metaphysics a different ethics on how they see life. And that's why Camus, how are you saying, he's against bringing about change because you, you don't even know if you're going in the right direction. You just think you're going in the right direction because you're trying to carry with what's happening today. But surely history should tell you that the past changes all the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, he he wants to bring about change, but he's just saying everything in moderation.
2: Yeah. I think
1: that's kind of what he's saying.
2: Yeah. You have to justify your actions with relation to human behaviour and helping humans rather than justifying them with relation to an overall narrative or bringing about. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's all about it's all about the kind of interpersonal relationships, I think, for him. Camus, above all else above all his political leanings he was kind of saying what we should celebrate is humanity and each other's humanity and our own humanity so you know whatever form that takes in politics um, i think that was kind of primary for him i've got a quote from him i continue to believe this world has no supernatural meaning but i know that something in the world has meaning and that is man because that's kind of like tying in his politics and his religion in one quote did you read The Fall? Is there anything on The Fall there?
0: Yeah. I, I... What's The Fall about? So The Fall is about. Um, it's it's very strange actually. So it's the only book I've ever read where you're being talked to. So there's not really a narrator, but yeah. someone kind of narrating to you. Mm-hmm. And there's no there's there's no response from the kind of person that you inhabit. That yeah. is on the receiving end of this. Yeah. So they will just say, "What did you say?". Oh yes, what a great point. And and yeah. it just carries on like yeah. that. You find yourself in this in this um character where there's someone else that you bump into and he starts telling you about his life in yeah. the streets of Copenhagen I believe.
2: Yeah.
0: And uh it's about this guy called uh Clements, I think. Mm-hmm. And at first he's he's very talkative um and he he explains a lot about not only himself, but his life around him and his history, but it's re- it's underscored by guilt, and almost schizophrenic in its presentation to you. It's so erratic and uh, uncontrolled, but there's real purity to it. There's real raw emotion, and um, again, a lot of a lot of Camus' ideas are, are formalized here. Um, I have a list of quotes with just really powerful short sentences. Which really uh, capture his his philosophy a lot of times. again, he he talks about um, the kind of humanity and, and living for humanity. Uh, one of the the biggest tragedies of the book is that this character who talks to you the entire time, Clemence, uh, was on a bridge one night and a woman jumps off the bridge into the uh, into the river. And this is actually echoed in in or it's seen before in in Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. There is also a, a woman. Who jumps into the river right before um, Raskolnikov, uh, who's the main character of that book, and so there's a kind of an echo there of of, of uh, Camus emulating Dostoevsky, but the biggest tragedy here is the guilt that then uh, takes hold of of Clamence. His entire life becomes running away, trying to run away from this guilt, and um, what so what's the,
1: he, what's his guilt about? Just that he couldn't
0: that he was... didn't do anything. Yeah. He just witnessed it yeah. and he didn't, he could have jumped in to help her, but he didn't. And so he's, he's kind of numbed. It's, it's odd because he's numbed to all of these minute details of life, which when you, but he, he sees them still and he's hyper vigilant of all of these small details that make up life and he's aware of them when other people aren't, but they don't provide anything to him. He doesn't get that response for years and years and years. And it, it, it it's similar to Kierkegaard, and he says you can you can be lost for a long time, and you might not even realize it. And when when this character is talking to you in the book where you find yourself, he he's kind of come to that realization that he spent years of his life wasted and in, in the wrong pursuits, in these hedonistic pursuits. And uh, actually with this, he's overridden with guilt, like I said, and he comes to appreciate things a lot more. So I, I have a few quotes from him. A lot of them focus on on truth people as well so uh so there's this quote that says you are only excused for happiness and success if you generously agree to share them and again that that kind of adds to the the point that we saw in in uh, the plague yeah which is what there's only shame in in being happy by oneself yeah. you know you need to share it with people and again it, it sums up um Camus outlook on humanity as well. You live for the people around you. And one of the most powerful quotes that I saw was a quote that says, but in some cases, carrying on, just carrying on, is the superhuman achievement. And this is a real uh, underrated side of of Camus work is the idea of progression of a process. Camus recognises that on the surface, most most things in life seem very pessimistic, but there's this kind of semi-concealed optimism underneath them. There's this kind of drive for better. And mm-hmm. in all of Camus works, be it kind of uh, ph- philosophy or politics, he's actually striving for the betterment of society. Yeah. He recognises that. We're in a certain place here, but actually we're not just staying, we're on the move. And it's he's trying to direct us in that movement. And uh, just carrying on in this case—that is the superhuman achievement. Carrying on is is something that, despite all of the suffering in life and and everything that will throw at you, carrying on is is the most important thing. And we see that as well in 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 the plague, where uh, Doctor Ryu day in day out, like you said Pierre earlier, he treats the patients. He he helps. Uh, consult their families and he just he just carries on and I think there's a line at the end where he says well I I did my duty that's what I had to do had to be done Mm -hmm. and so he recognizes that that was just that was the truth for him was just you know plodding away carrying on in life and it's interesting that Camus assigns the word superhuman to that he uses superhuman again in the plague uh I forget where but it stuck out to me when I saw it
1: I think that's it's funny, it's, it's, something, it's something that we find, it's something that we would see as quite a mundane um, human characteristic mm. and it's funny that Camus raises it above all else and that we just need to persevere and that is the ultimate kind of, that's the ultimate way of kind of defeating the meaninglessness, it's just persevering you know, it, it, from, from the myth of Sisyphus clearly all the way to the fall it's just about, yeah like you said Colin, just carrying on and doing the best you can and that's enough actually, I think, for him mm. that can be enough
0: yeah, that's a really good point to compare it with with Sisyphus. Yeah. Because he says you're either, in that situation, you're either contempt, condemned to eternal...
1: Torment, uh, as it were.
0: Yeah, inter- eternal torment, eternal suffering, or you can choose eternal happiness.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a bit on the fall. Yeah, that's really interesting.
1: I kind of want to read the full
2: though. <laughs> I think it's the whole point of just keep going on, just keep struggling, keep going. Um, but it's not, it can be a struggle but there's beauty in the struggle
1: yeah.
2: and living in the wealth of here and now. That's what's so important for Camus is realizing you might die tomorrow. You might die in a week's time. You might die in 20 years time, but if someone told you you'd die tomorrow, that's what that's going to happen. You can't change these things. You can just live in the here and now and live the experience now to the fullest, not to the detriment of the future in terms of go and spend all your money because you might not die tomorrow, but just be realize that there's sometimes we worry a lot or we say oh, i wish i was doing something more i wish i was focusing on something else or i'll put this off till another day but if you just live in here and now and admit okay i'm sitting around for three hours doing nothing or at least i'll enjoy it at least i'll just like he says listen that one about listening to a lecture in a different language for the whole afternoon such a mundane experience but you be present in the whole experience yeah. and you be there the whole time it's not saying don't waste time it's saying realize you waste time and that's enjoy you living it. your experience enjoy that
1: he actually there's a quote from him which is quite a good one he says we sin against life when we hope for another life and in doing so we avoid the grandeur of this life we've been given and i think that's quite interesting it's like life it, i think he's all about kind of life for life's sake mm. like we we are able to live for nothing yeah and that's a strength um yeah and you know mentioned very briefly earlier is that kind of Camus is very interested in suicide um and actually i think he he would conclude that suicide although it seems like the logical conclusion to seeing that life is meaningless kind of suicide seems like the obvious option but i think for him he actually says that's an avoidance of the answer that's not the logical answer you know it's it's you're running away from something mm. um yeah and you're not appreciating what life has to offer in its kind of nothingness and in its meaninglessness yeah. There are so many little moments of beauty, yeah um, in our relations with others, you know, in the natural world around us, for example, that we can still enjoy. And it's only in being aware of one's life and in one's freedom that we can live life to the maximum,
0: yeah,
1: in having that kind of lucid realization that life is absurd. From then it's kind of a springboard into actually appreciating what we have.
0: so that's been a really interesting discussion on on Camus and all of his works pretty much and and his life and his philosophy. And we we've drawn from many different um, sources, which will all be in the description as always. Uh, a very good article as well is written on, on Peace of Mind, which is a blog website run by Ines, Right?
1: Yeah. So or, I run I run um, this website. It's just like there are loads of small articles on it about like arts and culture. There's a couple on music, a couple on philosophy, um, a couple on literature and film. And if you'd want to check it out, it is in. I think it's going to be in the description.
2: Definitely. Top link.
1: So yeah, <laughs> top link, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Honoured.
2: Thank you Ines, for coming on, contributing to that interesting discussion. Um, like says says, there's the articles we drew off but then also we just drew off the, the texts themselves and if you can get your hands on a copy of The Fall, The Outsider and then especially The Plague and so well written, um, mm. so interesting and I know a lot of people have a lot of free time on their hands and it's, it's well worth reading those novels they are masterfully written just in terms of a story and then there's this deeper meaning in them as well
1: also I would say if people like Myth of Sisyphus is 20 pages and it's a PDF online and it like sums up so much of his thought yeah um, and again it's really accessible it's like philosophy but in like a really beautifully written format I think
2: mm. we've got a couple of episodes lined up in the pipeline and one of them, so this is episode eight, episode 10, uh, Connor and I are looking to do a sort of mailbag episode. So I know many of you have already followed the Instagram, at The Musings Podcast, no spaces, no capitals, and thank you for doing that. Um, but we made that account because now, if you'd like to, uh, you can DM us any questions you have about what has been any topics that have been raised in the last uh, well, nine episodes, it will be and just any further anything you think oh could you guys develop that a bit further what do you guys what do you two think about this um, and just focus on those last nine episodes and anything you want us to take a bit further or any other avenue you want us to look into that perhaps we didn't cover um, we'd be very much happy to do that so look forward to reading any questions and, and thank you to anyone that does contribute uh, apart from that like Connor said links in the description as always uh, stay safe and stay curious.